Welcome to the Elite HRV Podcast, where experts share their experience using heart rate variability and other biomarkers to optimize health and human performance. Welcome back, everyone. Your host, Jason Moore here. And today we've got another Jay Moore on the show, Dr. Jonathan Moore, a qualified chiropractor from Sydney, Australia. And today, Jonathan takes us deeper into the brain and the neurological system. He explains how stress causes real physical change within the brain and affects what's called neuroplastic adaptation or maladaptation even, and how these physical changes can actually affect our tolerance of future stress as well as affect our energy levels, our ability to perform critical thinking, motivation, the immune system, and a whole lot more. And this stuff is, at the same time, both very fascinating and scary in a way, Uh, but Jonathan does a great job of giving us an idea of how we can take control over all of this. And uh, make sure to stick around to the very end of the episode where he covers uh, how stress-induced brain atrophy is reversible, or in some cases, maybe not. Uh, But before we jump in, a quick note, uh, an update actually about the Foundations of Heart Rate Variability course. Enrollment for the course this year is ending very soon. So if you're looking to gain a deeper understanding of how to effectively use heart rate variability in your practice with your team or even to reach your own personal goals, um, definitely make sure to check out hrvcourse.com slash learn more. That's hrvcourse.com slash learn more. And remember that listeners of the podcast get 10% off using coupon code elite podcast at the checkout and enrollment is closing soon. There are actually links directly to that in the description of this episode on your podcast app. All right, now let's dive in. So, uh, yeah, I'm a chiropractor, uh, hence the title doctor. And in Australia, the uh, Dr. Jonathan Moore needs to be uh, added to as chiropractor. So that's my qualification. Been in practice since the year 2000 here in Sydney, Australia, and uh, also country uh, country Australia. Um, and, yeah, all private practice since graduating. Um, most of my focus as a chiropractor is not what I guess most people would deem uh what they expect from a chiropractor, I think most people would say chiropractic is about back pain, um, but certainly the focus for me and, and uh, large chunks of the profession is to focus on neurology uh, and um, neurological function of the body. Uh, and so there's several principles that um, I guess frame how I work in practice and um, all of my work, I guess, day to day is working with people, uh, dealing with stress, looking at stress, how stress impacts the body and what stress does to the brain. Uh, and therefore, um, how we can help that. Um, yeah, and in private practice, been in my own practice for uh, near on 10 years now, and we work with people of all ages and families and, uh, and little kids as well, newborns, uh, right up to um, the other end of the age spectrum. And yeah, the focus really is uh, neurological connection. Appreciate you kind of spelling all of that out. Do you also look at nutrition and lifestyle factors and all those pieces as well? 
Definitely do, yeah. So we look at it as a, as a holistic model and so um, giving advice and direction for people uh, nutritionally, as you said, Jason, and doing a, a bit of teaching around nutrition um, as well as looking at movement patterns and, and other um, physical-related things. We also deal a little uh, with uh, the emotional load that people can be facing, especially when we're talking stress. Uh, and so my other role uh, is a coach. I'm a qualified coach, uh, and that's a new, I guess, new area that I'm about to launch uh, in early 2017, uh, depending on when you're listening to this podcast, I guess. But um, but looking at the uh, the other aspects of life that can contribute to stress load. That's fantastic. That's a lot of a lot of things under one roof, and I think it's as we've mentioned before. That's kind of uh, the ideal. I mean. It's n- none of these things exist in a vacuum, so looking at them all together is really helpful, and I think it really, as you probably are experiencing, really improves the patient outcome quite a bit. Definitely does. Definitely does, yeah. So movement patterns is something we'll have to dive into another time because I just yeah. <laughs> I love that topic as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. B- but you, you mentioned the impact of stress on the body and brain yeah. and neurological connections. Yeah. Maybe that could be a good segue into your concept of disconnection and what, what does that entail? Yeah, totally. So uh, I guess one of the core principles that frames the work that I do in practice, but also uh, moving into the coaching space uh, heavily, is that um, stress creates disconnection. And just to qualify that, that I'm uh, talking disconnection in this context at a neurological level. And that's something that I guess I've, I've spent time looking into and coming up with and recognizing that whilst people present in life, whether it's in, here in practice or through a, a, just in life in general, in business and in relationships and in family, when we present with issues or problems, um, if there's been a level of neurological disconnection, then that can show up in the body in all sorts of different ways. So I guess just to backtrack, one of the, the, the earlier principles is the fact that the brain's the master control system and that communication between uh, the brain and the body, so neurological communication or neurological connection is really the driver for function and healing in the body. And so if we've got strong neurological connection, then, then we have healthy function and healthy recovery if something doesn't work well. And then that leads us to the fact, well, where do things break down? And the fact is it breaks down when the stress that we're facing in life is beyond our adaptable threshold. We go past the threshold and something's going to give. And I guess the example I like to use or the metaphor is if you've got a power socket with one or two things plugged in, then that's the load that that power socket can handle. But as soon as you start plugging multiple uh, devices and appliances and things into that and you start to go to a place that's beyond the the tolerable load for that power socket, something's got to give. It, it's just natural. It can't sustain that level. And I feel that, and I found that neurologically, it's exactly the same. If we're asking our system to carry a greater load than what we can tolerate, something's going to give. And when we look, I guess, deeper and, and sort of down a microscope, so to speak, we what we start to see is that the disconnection's happening at a synaptic level and at a neurological level. And then the end result of that is dysfunction and, and poor healing in the body. 
Wow. Yeah, that's, there's a lot to that. And, and this is something, like you said, in your practice, you work with everyone from kids to all the way up the age range. And, and also, is it true that you work with, you know, all different types of, um, kind of diseases, I guess is maybe not the right word, but, um, folks managing different issues, um, and they all kind of relate in, uh, in this way. Yeah, really, really that's true. Um, whilst in practice my focus is to help people, I guess, get the results that they want to see, um, the fact that we can tie it back to um, stress beyond threshold creating disconnection means that it could present differently for different people but with the same root cause. And so then my role as a practitioner is to come back and say, well, how do we address the root cause? And the expression for different people could be as varied as the number of different people because of the other choices they make, the age that they are, the the other things going on in their life might determine that a child presents this way and an adult presents this way and a different adult presents a different way. But root cause, neurologically, there's been a, a, a disconnect, there's been an overload and that's created all sorts of things uh, synaptically and uh, neurologically, um, which is I guess, termed uh, maladaptive neuroplastic change, which is getting a bit technical, but yeah. Sure. No, that's great. And and when you talk about being having neurological disconnection, yeah. is that something that is, you know, like you said, almost going down the microscope? Is there a physical disconnection taking place or are we talking about kind of a hypothetical disconnection of processes or what do you mean by that? Yeah, brilliant question. Um, It is a, I guess it's a phrase that, that I've come up with for the sake of helping people to understand. And part of my heart is uh, I love teaching and I love helping people understand. So if I talked about synaptic degeneration or maladaptive neuroplastic change, most people glaze over and the conversation's finished. It doesn't help them. So creating disconnection is kind of a an overview word for those other things, uh, maladaptive neuroplastic change or synaptic disconnection um, or, or synaptic uh, hyp- uh, atrophy. But the key thing is that different areas of the brain respond differently and that's a really um, important point, especially for those who are, I guess, uh, got a background in neurology or, or have looked deeper into this. There are some parts of the brain that when stress goes high, they actually grow, they hypertrophy uh, and there are other regions that literally break down, that literally atrophy and break away. Um, and the body favors survival when stress is high. And so it turns up the processes physically, literally, uh, that will enable survival. And it turns down the processes that enable uh, life and growth and, and uh, I guess, the other end of the spectrum, which we would call thriving. Right. And that's kind of, you had mentioned that you enjoyed Dr. Eldred's episode and he kind of touched on this as well as the, the fight or flight situation or when the sympathetic system is activated, uh, that it can basically kind of sacrifice your long-term scenario to get through the current situation. And that's what you're talking about as well. Precisely. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess, uh, when we look at a fight flight situation, um, primitively, that that scenario of fight flight is designed to be short term uh, called an acute response if you're running away from a lion uh, that's that's not a a pursuit that's going to last hours 
let alone minutes. Uh, if if you're if you're being pursued by a lion, he's jumped out and he's he's onto you. Um, if it's going for five minutes, he's either a pretty dopey and slow lion, or you're an incredible uh, athlete and able to get away from him, get up a tree or something like that. But really, the acute fight flight response is designed to be minutes, uh, and then to go into a recovery phase um, and. When we stay in that acute fight-flight response for too long, that's when we overload the threshold and, uh, and then we, we start to see this, this disconnection and breakdown. So we'll come back to some of those terms that you mentioned, um, but I wanted to ask you, since you mentioned that you look at some of the emotional uh, aspects of this with your patients, does your perception of a given stressor um, affect in your experience, does it affect the way that that impacts the body, whether it be um, a higher stress, perceived stress load, or perhaps a prolonged stress load based yeah. on kind of your emotional response to it? Yeah, most definitely. And perception perception is king in the way that perception creates our reality. So what I may perceive to be stressful um, and may elicit a stress response in me or that fight-flight response uh, for you, may be absolutely fine, but I think it, it, it's my, my body responds as if it's life threatening, and certainly uh, I think it's it's well documented that that public speaking is the number one fear for most people. Um, and I think it rates higher than death. Uh, I've heard, uh, and so for for one person, getting up on stage and public speaking could be elicit this enormous fight, flight, survival stress response, and for the next person. Uh, it's where they're in their element, and they just feel like they come alive there. And it's it, whilst there is a there is a short term stress response, it's certainly not life threatening. So that all comes down to perception, um, and perception definitely drives how we respond to stress. And I have a couple examples because that aligns with what I experienced as well, and what I have from talking to others and. Apologies for asking such a leading question because I was kind of. Uh, <laughs> Ooh, I'm, not sure what, I'm not sure what's about to come. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's uh, well. I have a couple of good examples. I have a yeah. good friend that um, whenever he travels, uh, like on an airplane, yeah, he gets anxiety, tremendous anxiety, and uh, he can't sleep for days, and. Um, he his health definitely suffers during the time, yeah. but then when he actually gets on the plane and goes, he's really fine. And he, he knows that this is kind of an irrational uh, reaction, but he just can't help it. And sure. um, it really does affect his health. Whereas yeah. some, some people like my brother, um, you know, may not travel for a long time and then get on a plane and he's asleep before yeah. like he buckles in and uh, there's, there's nothing to it, but yeah. And that that really is the case, and and so that, that I guess that opens up the a conversation around uh, the coaching space um, that I also, as I say, are working in, and mm-hmm. it, it really comes back to a principle that beliefs drive behaviour, and so for your for your friend, there's there's obviously this underlying belief somewhere that says this is not well. I would assume this is not safe. Um, this could be the last flight I ever take. Will I ever see my wife and kids again? All of those things. And, and chances are this is subconscious. And, and it's more than likely being connected to something that he's experienced previously in life or, or something he's seen, which is lodged in his subconscious. So now for your friend, 
his the tapes that play in his brain when he considers a flight um, drive him into a stress response, drive him into this this I need to survive this somehow. And of course, if if you're in a, an acute stress response, s- sleep's not an option because it's dangerous to sleep. Um, and so he's perceiving he has a belief somewhere. I'm assuming there's a belief somewhere that says this could be life threatening. I need to try and survive this. And so how am I going to do that? And so he's perceiving that he's about to face that. Your brother doesn't have that belief. He may have other things in his subconscious that that will stir him up like public speaking or or something like that. But it's that belief that drives behavior and beliefs are are built on perceptions and subconscious and that's a whole, I guess, guess a topic that that we could dive into or or say for a further podcast. But uh, beliefs drive behavior is is absolutely a, a factor. Uh, yeah, and that that's that's pretty powerful. And just kind of to relate it for folks to different scenarios is, mm. um, like you mentioned, it could be flights, it could be public speaking, um, it could be going to tryouts for a sport or yeah. uh, taking a final exam, um, and all of these things. I actually a final exam is is an interesting one. Just I I have a lot of relatives that are younger and in school yeah. age yeah. and um, some of them uh, have mentioned that they really don't like taking tests yeah. and it can possibly affect their ability to perform on those tests if they're getting anxiety about it. Absolutely um, no doubt on that and that's part of I guess the disconnection thing that we talk about is the the prefrontal cortex which is the area of the brain for executive function and thinking and, and a lot of those things when we get stressed, it gets turned down. So logical thinking gets turned down when adrenaline, cortisol go up, when we hit that fight-flight place. And again, let's go back to the being chased by a lion. Jason, if you're being chased by a lion across the, I don't know, savannah or something like that, do you stop and think, hmm, which way is going to be the shortest route to get out of here? Is that something going through your head, do you think? <laughs> no <laughs> no <laughs> it takes way too much energy the brain's lazy it takes way too much time and so we just go into this responsive mode where we say well i just need to respond as quickly as possible to survive i don't think logically i just do things and and i may even run off a cliff trying to get away from the lion because i didn't see that behind that bush was a drop down into a river and that could be life-threatening as well but at least i got away from the lion okay so we, <laughs> we make rash stupid decisions when adrenaline is high because that prefrontal cortex executive function is turned down and if in long term if it's turned down it starts to break down and atrophy and that's that's part of the longer term things coming to your relatives and and here in sydney uh, it's just come to the end of the school year we finish up in in november and so all major exams are being finished for people graduating and can guarantee stress response going through the roof for people and the truth is that if you can't control that, if you can't bring that into some sort of balance, you walk into that exam, the smartest student will have minimal recall or, or less recall than ideal when adrenaline's high. And so, hence the need to find the balance in there and know how to uh, manage stress levels and, and how to, if you are feeling stress, recognize it and then come to a place where you can give yourself time and space to recover from that adrenaline overload. Yeah. Wow. And, you know, that's a couple of things on all of that. One is uh, from the travel related stress that that topic is actually a fairly hot one with our audience. I think. All right. um, so 
we've got a lot of athletes. We've got yeah. a lot of folks who may travel for those athletic competitions or oh, for wow. various business or speaking engagements. And uh, we've received feedback, and that's one reason why we allowed people to put tags in the app and things um, yeah. so that they could see when they travel what their HRV does, which is hopefully uh, a good indication of what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess the other thing is awareness. If if you you can't change what you don't know, and so if you don't know that under the surface you're actually driving high adrenaline and getting stressed, then you can't put things in place to change that. So that's where your HRV and measurements and um, and the the Elite app are, are just brilliant because they bring a level of awareness as to how I'm responding to my environment, and then once we have awareness, then we can do something to change um of course awareness alone doesn't create change but it creates opportunity for change and that's that's really i think the the power of the app and and being able to measure things uh, objectively well said i'll have to steal some of those lines in the future <laughs> they're, they're, all, they're all yours it's just, it's just it's just one jay moore to another so it's fine oh yeah perfect i'll just say quote quote jay moore right <laughs> That's right. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, in your practice, yeah. um, you have folks. Uh, what what do what does a typical patient come in for? Um, a, a range of anything, uh, and so I do see people um, uh, with with pain and symptoms. But the majority of people uh, are coming in with. Uh, they realise that a lot of I guess there's a there's. I'm recognized as dealing with this area. And so people will come in saying, look, I, I don't sleep well uh, or um, I, I can't seem to settle down and, and my heart's racing or uh, I'm foggy in the brain, uh, I just feel overwhelmed, those sorts of things. So from an adult point of view, uh, I guess the adult population, uh, the majority of people are coming in with something that they have learned or guessed that is related to a, a stress overdrive. Uh, and for kids, it's it's similar because there's a lot of primitive responses to stress for kids. Um, even low immune system is a can be closely linked to an overloaded adrenaline system, an overloaded um, stress response, or an overactive stress response, and therefore disconnection in other areas. So they're all the different things that people are coming in with. Um, and I guess. Just to tag onto that, the coaching side of things, most of the work that I'm doing as I'm launching into this is with leaders and entrepreneurs who are dealing with just overwhelm, just, you know, that feel like they're, they've lost control of how life looks like and so their energy levels are flat, their relationships are stretched, their, their productivity is low, their creativity is low, their immune system's low. All of those sorts of things uh, are the sorts of things that I'm dealing with coaching-wise as well. So, um so yeah. Okay, and so I was just taking a couple notes to ask you about, but um, yeah. let's start with the folks in your practice. So whenever they come in for these various situations, whether it be a state of disease or not, or just pain or just um, lack of energy or yeah. whatever it is, uh, how do you kind of bring the conversation or how do you, you know, we mentioned awareness. Uh, how do you have that conversation that with somebody who, Maybe it's just like, hey, you know what? I, I have this specific issue and I want it resolved. Do you yep. go down the rabbit hole with them on all of this? Uh, I guess in, in practice, my, 
my desire is that people will link what's going on with lifestyle choices. Um, it doesn't always happen that way. There's still a perception for a lot of people that uh, you're the chiropractor, you're the doctor, uh, I have the problem, uh, you have the solution. If I walk in your door and you apply your solution to my problem, then everything disappears uh, and I don't have to do anything. You just fixed me. And so there's still a, still a fair bit of that. And um, I, I would love, I guess it's my heart, that people would actually say, oh, hold on, I can see that I am where I am because of the choices I've made, even if I'm in some degree of pain. Uh, and so I need somebody to guide me and help me to make better choices uh, as well as help to find something that can see my body recover. And I guess that's that's my strength is helping people to recognize what to change. But also the chiropractic work I do is all about creating or establishing reconnection neurologically. So I, I would love that to be the majority. Um, certainly the majority of people walk in with a stress-related thing, but then there's still, a, there's still an attitude. And I think it's I think it's worldwide, I guess, uh, is that I have problem, you have solution, please apply solution to my problem and everything's rosy. And really mm-hmm. it's a journey. Really it's a, it's a, it's walking a journey, making different choices and, and using the resources available to actually say, well, in two months, six months, 12 months, where do you want to be and how do you want things to look? And then how, how do we help you get to that if that's what you want? Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, it's yeah. definitely something, I mean, I've been to a lot of countries and a lot of places, but I, I guess I can't say whether or not it's worldwide, but it's yeah. definitely, uh, in my experience, um, a lot of people would like that. I have problem, you have solution. Um, <laughs> and I, I can definitely understand why, because... Oh, totally. Yeah, it's, uh, as we mentioned, there's all these different stressors coming at them from, or coming at everyone from all these different angles and uh, just taking um, responsibility, I guess, for a series of decisions that have gotten you to a bad place is an added stressor as well. Well, yeah, and, and it's it's not a sugar-coated answer, um, but I guess there's a principle that says you are where you are in life because of the choices that you repeatedly make. And it's the same for all of us. Whether you're in a great place or a terrible place, it's you're in that position and for some people that's a little defeating and I can I can understand that because we sort of oh gee I made the wrong choices but the flip of that is probably the most powerful uh, thing that I can offer which is if you are where you are because of the choices you've made and you don't want to be where you are then it's just choices that are going to get you out of there choices and action of course and so rather than being the victim of saying well I'm stuck here you know it just happened uh, then what we can start to focus on is saying, well, what are some different choices that you can start to make on a daily basis that are going to build your journey towards the outcomes that you want? Uh, and and starting to make those healthy choices starts to open up the change that people are looking for. Yeah, and and so let's let's try to do something tricky here. How does <laughs> tricky? I like tricky. Tricky. Now, what you just said was really powerful. I even, uh, I use the word powerful probably too much, but it was uh, a very important message for people to hear. Choices and action have been, uh, I've found just, yeah, exactly like you said, it's changed my life to kind of 
keep that in the back of my mind, um, whether it's from a business perspective, a health perspective, a performance perspective. Um, So the tricky part is how do we relate that topic to maladaptive neuroplastic change? Yeah, right. (laughs) Okay, let's uh, let's do something tricky. Um, So... The fact is maladaptive neuroplastic change. Uh, do I need to define that? Pro- probably best to for the, for yes, the audience. Yes, that'd be great. So, so I guess th- there is great understanding these days that the brain is plastic and it's constantly changing to uh, adapt to the environment and to respond to the world around it. So that is neuroplasticity. Uh, adaptive neuroplasticity comes into a place where um, – the changes that are happening, are, are, you would say, uh, are healthy changes. They're, they're changes that actually support growth and life and, and, and um, healthy changes. So maladaptive neuroplastic changes are where the short-term benefit is there uh, to help you to survive, but the long-term result is uh, damaging. It's called maladaptive because it actually creates a, a longer-term problem for a short-term solution or a short-term gain so it's, it's still the body's or the brain's intelligent response to the environment it's just that the environment is overloading and so things start to break down hence maladaptive so that's that's where that comes in i think uh, if i can, can just come back to your question that uh, how does the choices that we make drive maladaptive change is that mm-hmm. is that the mm-hmm. yeah okay yep. so if we're making choices let's take your average um, executive or entrepreneur or, or someone who's sort of in, in leadership or, or has a lot of responsibility, then that, uh, let's just choose a, I don't know, a, a 40-year-old um, male or female, doesn't really matter, who has home responsibilities, family responsibilities. They have work and business responsibilities either for their own business or, or in a management role or a leadership role or a, an executive role. And so they're making choices every day as to how they manage those different um, requirements and responsibilities in their life. Now, um, they're having a choice as to the nutrition they put into their body. They're having a choice as to how much space they put into their life. Uh, They're having a choice as to how much sleep they get. They're having a choice as to how they structure their day. Now, interestingly, a little sort of digression, a a lot of us feel that you know, I don't, I don't have a choice about how I structure my day. It just gets thrown at me. I don't have a choice about how much I sleep. I don't really get to choose. I just get to bed as soon as everything's done and then I have to get up and get out to the office again or, or something. Um, this is true. There can be pressure applied externally, which may heavily weight our choices, but ultimately we still get to choose. And again, I know that's probably not a popular message for some people because it means that you are where you are because of the choices you've made. But mm-hmm. the fact is that the the gold in that is that you can then change that choice. So you can start to say, well, how do I want to respond in that situation? What other things can I tweak and change to to uh, make a different choice? Um, and so there's all sorts of things in, in there. Again, Rabbit Warren, I don't think it's <laughs> – let's not run down there for time's sake. Um, but come back to the maladaptive changes – if you're not sleeping well because of the, the load that you're carrying uh, and if you're then um, under the pump all day at work because of emails and distractions and meetings and deadlines and all of those sorts of things, then your body is running on adrenaline the whole time and 
driving up cortisol and all of this stress response that's happening. And over time, high levels of adrenaline and cortisol become toxic to the body. Short-term gain, they help us get through and survive. Long-term damaging. Uh, and this is the maladaptive change. This is when we start to see disconnection and neurologically, prefrontal cortex and hippocampus, we see starts to break down. We, and these are maladaptive changes. We also see, and this is a really crucial thing, I think, the amygdala as part of the limbic system. The amygdala is part of the brain that drives our fear and anxiety response. That's the part of the brain that actually, actually atrophies, and uh, sorry, hypertrophies. It, it gets bigger, it grows which means it's now your, your brain is now more wired and sensitive to things that will cause fear and anxiety. And so your, th- your threshold literally gets decreased for what you can handle because your amygdala, which is trying to help you get through this, is growing and getting bigger and saying, well, I need to get bigger because I need to take in more signals. So these are all maladaptive changes which happen as a result of constantly being under the pump with our, our, our day um, and the, I guess the collateral damage to that or the carnage that's left in the wake of that ongoing and ongoing is um, we don't think clearly, we don't think creatively, we're not as productive as we could be, we don't communicate clearly and so that has flow-on effects for all relationships whether they're work or family or kids, um, spouse, those sorts of things. All of that starts to come into play as a result of the high levels of stress, the maladaptive changes. Uh, and immune system, that's another area that, that gets dropped down because it requires a lot of energy to keep it running. And at the moment, we're putting energy into surviving. And so we sort of we drive into that place rather than trying to keep a strong immune system. So that opens up the whole world of chronic disease. And, and um, Dr. Eldridge Taylor, I think, talked about that a lot where we talk about chronic fatigues and we talk about all of these different things that we label but they're, they're really the body just breaking down saying, I can't sustain that. I can't keep that going. And so something's got to give. Wow. Yeah. No, that's, there's so much there that people can take away. And I, I, I really like the mention about the maladaptive response for your threshold of, uh, or the, uh, yeah, the maladaptive uh, neuroplastic change towards mm. having a, a lower threshold that in which you respond with fear and anxiety um, towards, towards various things. And, and one of the things in my experience that I've found is that that archetypal person that you're just talking about right there, um, also ends up at some point getting into endurance sports and, uh, uh, (laughs) and on one hand it's, uh, partially because at least in my experience that, um, spending a lot, a long time exercising gives their brain a chance to cool down. Yeah. Um, but then the issue that they run into is that the chronically elevated stress on the body that yeah. occurs from the in, uh, high volume of training is yeah. just adding to that uh, that entire accumulation of stress. Yeah. It's tough, eh? <laughs> yeah. And then, but then on the flip side, one thing that happens is when you have this elevated. Uh, stress response and this chronically elevated levels of stress that it kind of um, dulls your ability to feel good. Um, yeah. And like you said, your energy levels uh, flatten, yeah. productivity, creativity go down. And that when you exercise, your uh, body actually mobilizes cortisol 
and, uh, you know, basically heightens your senses and does some things that make you feel good. Yeah. Um, and so it's like this kind of self-perpetuating loop uh, where you try to exercise your way out of uh, <laughs> chronic stress from the rest yeah. of your life. Well, the interesting thing uh, that I've been told, and I need to verify this, but it comes from a pretty um, reliable source, is that when cortisol goes high, uh, when, when adrenaline goes high, exercise is one of the things that can turn adrenaline levels down. Uh, we expend the, the adrenaline's there for that fight flight. So by expending the energy, it actually burns off some of the adrenaline. So exercise is brilliant for that. But cortisol, the other uh, major hormone uh, neurotransmitter that's related to to stress, is uh, the only way to turn that down. Is there's two ways. One is dialysis, where you've got to suck it out of the blood through dialysis, which I, I really wouldn't recommend as a regular <laughs> no, uh, no, pasta. Thank you. <laughs> and the other is sleep. And so if you want to get ah, cortisol okay. out of your blood, the, the, the best way to do that, avoiding dialysis, is to sleep. And so, again, your exercise levels don't – they may reduce adrenaline. They may help you to get some clarity, but they're not necessarily going to drop – cortisol the only thing that does is good long restful sleep and of course for most people when cortisol's high and stress is high and we're in this fight flight place our sleep becomes near impossible the tossing and turning trying to get off to sleep the brain stays buzzing all night long because it's trying to problem solve or figure something out or think about what has to be done tomorrow and so poor pre-bed routine poor sleep habits lead to um elevated cortisol long term and the result of that is is continued um breakdown of different of of the hippocampus the prefrontal cortex these other areas these are maladaptive changes through high levels of sustained uh, sustained high levels of cortisol so i think uh dr taylor eldridge taylor talked about um people can get away i think it was him uh people can get away with a little bit of nutrition like not necessarily great nutrition and not necessarily great exercise, but nobody can get away with not great sleep. Right. Yeah, exactly. No, that's that's definitely, that was uh, and Dr. Mike Nelson. And, um, you know, it's it's like they say, uh, you can go, so I'm going to, I'm going to botch the numbers, but, um, <laughs> you can go like 30, 40 days without food. Oh, yeah. Um, you can go seven plus days without water, um, but you can only go like four days without sleep before you yeah. start hallucinating and then yeah. just keel over. Um, yeah, absolutely. So it's uh, aside from breathing, it's one of the <laughs> uh, most important and most regularly needed uh, yeah. activities. <laughs> definitely, definitely, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's great. And, you know, another... Uh, Side effect is kind of what I was mentioning earlier is that when cortisol's chronically elevated like that, um, and and what folks can relate this back to HRV by this would be like a chronically depressed HRV in most cases, yeah. Um, unless you're extremely aerobically fit, which is we talk about in the course a little bit, but uh, aerobic fitness can kind of mask uh, that depressed HRV. Mm. In yeah. some cases, but when you have that chronically elevated cortisol and uh, basically, uh, you know, the the receptors that actually use that 
end up getting kind of um, immune or the downregulated, so mm. to speak. Yep, yep, yep. Um, and then you need more cortisol to yeah. uh, respond to the same level of stress. It's kind of like drinking caffeine. You, you need more caffeine over time to get the same response. That's it. That's it. Um, yep. <laughs> and actually, uh, that probably contributes as well for some folks. But I'm sure, it does. Um, I'm sure, it does. So yeah, and I it's. Think, go ahead. I was going to say, Jason. I think there's there's a little bit of thing. I know in Australia, and I imagine in the states too, that there's a little bit of bravado around. I don't need much sleep. Like I can function anyway, uh, and I just have an extra coffee, and and I still right. can smash out the work. But it's the underlying stuff that that's going on at a subtle level that it just it catches up. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but you can't you can't overload the system without it catching up. Even if you can pep yourself up to get through something, somewhere there's a toll being taken, um, and there's going to be a fuse that blows sooner or later. And then you think, oh, how did that happen? But that that bravado, I think, is something that in our society. We just need to, we need to be real with ourselves and say, you know what? How how do we actually want to, um, like what what's our vision for life? Not what not how do I get through the next year or how do I like what can I turn out and what can I achieve and and all of these things. And I, I know I, I I'm in business. I, I I do this sort of thing too. But we we get this mindset that says, you know what? Here's what I can achieve. Here's what I can do. Look at what I can smash out. Look at my success and look at all of these things but we also need to keep in mind where's life going to be in five years 10 years or 30 years down the track like what's the vision for our whole life not for what we can achieve but where do we want to be when we're when we're 80 years old what what is your uh what's your health like when you're 80 years old what are your relationships like what's your marriage like And, and for some people that's just like that's that I've never thought of that sort of thing. I can I can hear people thinking, but as we start to say, well, not this sort of finite life's about to finish. I better look after myself. But like, how do we want to do life and not just tick a box, respond to an email on time, get a project finished? So it's kind of taking that aerial perspective, I think, Jason, and sort of saying, what really matters? What's really, really at the core of what matters? And how do I sew into that? Not by giving up stuff that we're doing, but how do I sew into that? Yes, and, and the, the challenge with that is, um, of course, like you're mentioning, you're keeping the big picture in mind yeah. and uh, basically realizing that when you're, if you're steering the boat outside of your <laughs> your goal for the big picture, yeah. then it's your, your choices. It kind of comes back to... Uh, being aware and making choices and and uh, taking action to steer yourself back in, uh, and then it also doesn't have to happen overnight. And I think that's another issue that uh, folks try to tackle everything all at once. And uh, making change of any type is a stress because the body ad- adapts to whatever it is that you've been doing. So it it mm. becomes used to and comfortable with uh, whatever you've been doing, even if that's bad. Um, And it's kind of that maladaptive change that you're mentioning. And uh, it's exactly that. Yeah. So when you, when you go back to address lifestyle factors, uh, there's going to be resistance 
from your body, even if you're moving in the good direction, um, possibly the body and the mind as well. And yeah. um, habits will have to be broken and, um, you know, yeah. you might have to eat vegetables and... Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I think life uh, There's enjoyed. a quote from... Yeah. Oh, it's just real quick. There's a, a quote from a, um, a guy named Ido Portal who I trained with for a little bit. And he's, uh, he mentioned in an interview, um, he's real big into movement training and uh, exercise and, uh, as a brief explainer. But uh, he's like, what are we training for? Life is now. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Great. Love that. Love that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, I think yeah. the other thing, Jason, to pick up on what you're saying there is again fast-paced world uh, we, we kind of want it like i want it now I, we're a microwave society everything has to happen now but sustainable change is is a plan has to be planned it can't just be um bought put in your pocket put on like a shirt and then all of a sudden oh i'm changed <laughs> it has to be planned for it has to be staged out and we have to make continual good choices and really i think one of the keys is that we have to do it. Firstly, we have to do it with a guide. We need somebody to actually help us know what to change. Because I think, I imagine for a lot of the listeners, whilst this is a pretty, I, I imagine, educated and switched on audience, a lot of people, they might hear this and they go, that, that's that's great. Thanks, Jay Moore and Jay Moore. I get it. But, <laughs> but what do I do? Like, what do I change? How do I do anything different? And and really, it's it's about seeking out somebody who can help to set a plan, help to give you a roadmap that will walk you through over a period of time to get to where you want to get to. And that that really is about finding the right person that fits with you, um, that has the, the I guess, the, the, the track record of creating outcomes that you're wanting and then can give you a step-by-step, but you've still got to make the steps. Um, it really is about... I just, I don't know, I'm a Star Wars fan, but but the whole um, Yoda and, and Luke Skywalker, like Luke Skywalker had to do the journey, but he needed Yoda. He needed Yoda to show him how to become a Jedi, to, to teach him. Yoda didn't go and fight Darth Vader, not in not in that movie anyway, but um, but <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he ever fought Darth Vader, but, but you, you get the picture is that, that Luke Skywalker was the one that had to seek out help. He had to find the right person to, to help him. Take, learn what to actually do and then he had to go and train he, he had to do all of these things he had to build up and he had to build up his own internal beliefs and he had to do this so that he could get to where he wanted to get to um, but he needed Yoda he needed somebody who'd walked the journey before who could set a plan who could show him what were the outcomes and this is what you need to do and this is how to use the force whatever so I think finding the right guide is is crucial somebody who can help you set a plan rather than just go oh great information but it all seems too hard. Mm-hmm. Yes, and and I'll have to say personally that I I'm a huge believer in that. I, I used to be a health coach and and personal trainer, and uh, but one thing that I quickly realized was that whenever I was training people one on one, that they were able to make change in their life at such a more rapid rate than folks who were attending. Uh, just a group class or or just looking stuff up online and following it. Um, and then I also did for myself, I've always periodically been under the um, observation or be under the guidance of a coach or 
practitioner or somebody in my life whenever I'm trying to tackle goals. Um, and you know, it makes a huge difference for me as well. Um, yeah, me too. Uh, I'm, I'm, I mean, I get coached, I get people to help me. Uh, and one of the other key things, um, is that a a community of people, you mentioned group classes versus one-on-one. I think that, that it's easy to hide in a group class, but what the group class does is create community. And if that community can actually come together and, and, support each other then then there's common goals and common journey to be done uh and it's like a it's like a platoon uh they they all walk into the battle together and whilst the general's not necessarily there they've been trained they're ready for battle but they they also have got each other's backs and they're they're helping each other out so there's a huge aspect i think in 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 health and wellness and and dealing with these stress things that is the right community of people who are cheering you on, encouraging you, and watching your back? Yeah, that that is very powerful, and that that also just to add to that, um, you know, when we mentioned different things, like when I said training one on one with somebody gets you a lot uh, faster results than than just being in a group class. Is uh, with anything that we say too, it it doesn't mean that you have to be permanently doing that for the rest of yeah. your life. True, it's that it's I go through periods of time when um, I, I mainly do it to learn and bring awareness to myself as well, work with somebody one-on-one, gain better awareness of my myself, my situation, what works for me, and then go off and use that knowledge uh, out in the world for a while, and then I want to learn something else. Yep. Um, and the beauty next of, Yoda. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And the, the beauty of today's world is that I can reach out to anyone on the internet anywhere in yeah, the world yeah. and share my uh, data that I've been tracking and say, hey, help me out here. Um, totally. And yeah, it's it's really powerful. So Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a smaller world now here on my, it's just going 10 o'clock on a Thursday morning in Sydney and, and you're back there on Wednesday night and, and yet it's like we're standing next to each other. It's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Two Jay Moores from opposite sides of the world. <laughs> Solving the world's problems. Solving the world's problems. That's it. Um, being, Yoda, being Yoda for each other. <laughs> right. Yeah, does it does it count if we're just two Yodas? Never mind. I won't go down but, it's um, going, going the wrong way. <laughs> so you mentioned the other thing that you mentioned was synaptic atrophy. Oh, yeah. Uh, maybe you could give a little overview about what that is and how that relates to what we've been talking about. Yeah, um, well, so synaptic atrophy uh, comes into this, um, again, that's a maladaptive change. Things start to break down, uh, and when we, when we get an overload of stress, com- coming back to that, that, same, um, that same model, stress overloads, um, body goes into survival response. It turns off things that are going to help growth, development, and life and, and moving forwards. And in the regions, the brain, prefrontal cortex and uh, hippocampus, which are crucial. Prefrontal cortex is uh, that executive function. Hippocampus is memory uh, in broad terms. And so what they talk about is stress-induced dendritic atrophy. And so that happens, we could go technical here, Jason, but essentially we start to see that um, some of the uh, neurotransmitters that are excitatory, get turned up and up and up, and that starts to become toxic for the system. Um, glutamate being one of the main ones there, and we could 
talk about NMDA receptors and, and the mechanisms that happen in the brain when we get stressed are similar mechanisms that happen in the brain when we get traumatic brain injury. And so um, whilst traumatic brain injury is an incident and an event uh, and stress is a, an accumulation, the, the, I guess the synaptic and the, the neurochemical response to that, um, to that insult is the same in that we get high levels of, as I say, glutamate, we start to get dendritic remodeling, which is uh, can start to become the breakdown of those those different um, neurotransmitters and synapses because the brain says, "Hold on, I, I'm I'm actually becoming toxic. I'm starting to, I, I guess, not eat myself. That 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 sounds like the the body's gone backwards. But it's just <laughs> it, it becomes we get releases of of different neurotransmitters which start to become uh, incompatible of survival of of synapses and of of uh, uh, neurons, they, they literally start to die um, and in specific brain regions, as I mentioned a moment ago. So that's what's happening for, in terms of the remodeling that happens at a synaptic dendritic level as a result of too much, okay? So uh, too much glutamate, which is, again, sequela of high stress. Wow, yeah, and so, and so like you said, that's I like the uh, remodeling term and, and how that's... Uh, plays a role in that maladaptive change. And, yeah. and again, coming back to that word maladaptive is that yep. you're adapting to or your brain or your body in general is adapting to the scenario that it's exposed to. Um, mm. So it's just trying to do what's best, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, but it, it doesn't necessarily have long-term planning skills. Um, no. And, uh, so, and like we mentioned previously, your perception of various stressors can kind of increase or decrease the amount that this, uh, maladaptive change occurs. Um, yeah, definitely. Uh, so real quick, are those, are these types of changes measurable? Uh, uh measurable in terms of the, the neurological changes? Right. The, like, the uh, I mean, this is kind of just a loaded question out of left field here is uh, do, do you do things to specifically measure uh, the maladaptive neuroplastic changes or is this just something that um, is you know included or underlying a lot of other types of measurements and things that you do with, with folks yeah yeah it, it is the, the latter uh, in, a, in other words it's underlying um, in terms of actually looking at the changes you're needing to do some pretty high tech and expensive uh, brain scanning. Um, MRI can show hypertrophy and atrophy of different regions. Uh, functional MRI, uh, EEG, these sorts of things can start to show us what's going on. And um, I've got knowledge in those areas, but it's, it's kind of limited in terms of uh, I don't use those in practice. Um, but uh, the research shows that it can be mapped, it can be seen, it can be worked with. So. Um, but again, co probably cost prohibitive for most people, but certainly from a research level or a, or a, 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 a significant um, pathology, yeah, certainly measurable. Perfect. And so this actually is a great opportunity for some medical tourism, if anyone's ever heard of that. Uh, it's basically where you go to a foreign country where medical exams like MRIs, for example, are cheaper. 
And then you use the savings that you would have spent in your home country to pay for a beach vacation. And <laughs> you get <laughs> you get two benefits there. One is you can yeah. see how bad the damage is, which you may not want to know. <laughs> and two is you get a chance to take some time off and uh, get that paid for by... <laughs> And hopefully uh, that'll, that, that beach holiday will bring stress levels low and you can start to recover, reconnect with your significant others and, and uh, start to wind down the adrenaline levels, get some sleep, turn down cortisol, get some good food, get some exercise and let your body start to heal. Yeah, every few months you got to check in on how your choices and actions are <laughs> affecting you. So you got to take another medical tourist vacation. I love it, medical tourism. Um, yeah, <laughs> or you could just make good choices and take holidays in that, that uh, rather than going overseas, getting an MRI and then taking a holiday, just make good choices every day and then take holidays. Oh, there you go. That, yeah, well, yeah. you know, that's not as fun. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I've had a few MRIs. They're not necessarily that fun. True. Um, yeah, yeah. So then the last question I had uh, before we wrap up is uh, these changes sound uh, very permanent. Um are they, yeah. in general, in your experience, reversible? The, the maladaptive changes? Yes. Yeah, yeah. They are reversible, um, although it depends what expression is happening in the body as a result of them. Uh, and so uh, a lowered immune system, for example, that has been running rife for years uh, could result in some, some pretty horrific chronic diseases. Uh, and those sorts of things can be really hard to recover from. But talking at a neurological level, uh, there can be change to um, to to the th there's there's always plasticity happening, adaptive or maladaptive. So if we just start to create the right conditions and the right environment, the body and the brain will start to rebuild back to uh, a healthy place. It's only natural that the body wants to be healthy. It's it's the most natural thing, but it's just not our common experience. And so if we give it the right conditions, if we give it the right environment. Uh, and we continue to do that over time, we set that plan like I talked about, then what we'll find is that the body will build itself healthy. It'll be natural. Um, it, it's not natural for the body just to break down over time and, and start to fall to pieces any more than it's natural for a, a tree just to not be able to grow properly. Uh, a tree's naturally able to grow and continue to, uh, if they've got the right environment, they will continue to grow and thrive provided the environment's correct. I like the tree analogy because, yeah, um, yeah it's very tangible. And uh, except for, as you mentioned previously, the exploding trees that are in Australia. Um, but that's, that, Just to qualify that, that's that's in bushfire season with the the oils that start to um, start to explode because they they get too hot, they combust. It's a whole different story, but it does happen. <laughs> uh, well, that's great. So. Uh, Jonathan, um, yes. Jay Moore, we can uh, wrap up on that. And I yep. think that it looks like there will be opportunity for deeper discussion on many topics in the future. Um, Sounds great. So thank you so much for taking the time. And I know you have a, a patient coming in soon. So yep. um, why don't we wrap up with that? And uh, again, appreciate everybody. And m before we go, though, can you let everyone know where they can find you and also where to keep an eye out for your new coaching program? Yeah, well, the best place to find me um, is uh, I'm launching Legacy Coaching in January 2017. 
So um, for anybody who's listening to this, and at the moment there's just uh, there's there's a launch a launch pattern that's starting to happen for anybody who's interested in getting in on that launch. And so uh, website legacy coaching, all one word, legacy coaching dot community forward slash launch is where you can uh, register interest and then as soon as it launches, it'll launch mid-January. Um, as soon as it launches, you'll be uh, informed about it and um, then I'll, I'll be uh, be rolling forwards with that. So it's exciting times for me to actually start to, um, I guess, help more people get bigger changes, overcome stress and, and start to make the difference in the world that they really want to make. So so yeah, legacycoaching.community forward slash launch. And if you're listening after launch if you go to that page and it's not there there'll be links back to uh where you can find me otherwise that's fantastic i appreciate that and it sounds like there's some loud noises outside my window so it was perfect timing for us to wrap up so thanks so much for your time jonathan and we will see you next time hey folks jason here again for a few closing points first I find it both weird and exciting to learn that I can shape my brain with day-to-day choices and actions. Um, So it's not the first time I've heard of neuroplasticity or neuroplastic adaptation even, but uh, it was put very succinctly by Jonathan and it just sparked a whole line of thinking on my part, as I'm sure it did with many of you. Um, Second, you can find links and notes for Jonathan and the other discussed topics over at EliteHRV.com slash podcast. Um, We've also opened up comments over there for these episodes, so feel free to drop a comment on this or any other episode. And don't forget to check out Jonathan's new coaching program. There will also be links to that over in the show notes. And last, as mentioned previously, enrollment for the Foundations of Heart Rate Variability course this year is ending very soon. So if you're looking to gain a deeper understanding of how do you effectively use heart rate variability in your practice with your team or even to reach your own personal goals, definitely make sure to check out hrvcourse.com slash learn more. That's hrvcourse.com slash learn more. And remember, listeners of the podcast get 10% off using coupon code ELITEPODCAST at checkout. And enrollment's closing soon. There are actually links directly to that in the description of this episode on your favorite podcast app. So hrvcourse.com or just follow the link in the description. And have a great week and we will catch you next time. Sponsored by hrvcourse.com. Truly understand the science and mechanisms behind heart rate variability and how to apply them towards your goals. Use discount code ELITEPODCAST for 10% off your first HRV course. That's all one word, ELITEPODCAST. Visit hrvcourse.com to get access today.